Thank you for joining us today. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to watch is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. Up to this point in this series, we've seen the establishment of Jesus' identity as the Son of God and the beginning of his earthly ministry. We've studied his teaching as he has taught through parables, sermons, and daily life with his disciples. And we've seen his miraculous power over nature, sin, sickness, and spiritual darkness. Our entire study through the Gospel of Mark thus far is available in our feed. We'd love for you to join in. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead, open up the Hope Church LV app or visit us at hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Hope Church. Hope everybody's good today. I uh, just want to take a minute and say um, how awesome it is for us to be able to see people get baptized. Amen? Like, I know that doesn't save, but man, what that means, so powerful for those who are publicly declaring, I'm a Jesus follower. It's huge. It's huge. I remember, um, sorry, Scott, I know this is not part of the message, guys. I know this is going to be part of the evaluation tomorrow morning, but it's okay. Uh, I remember getting baptized when I was 11. When I saw those four young people go through the waters, I, I, I want to tell you something. It sticks. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Like if we win this city with the kids, we will win the city. I'm telling you. Some, if not all, those kids who were baptized today, praise the Lord for them. They're going to miss things, I'm telling you, in their life. They're going to miss some scars some of us got, probably. But what God did in saving them is going to be huge for our city. So I just want to say praise the Lord for that. And thank God for our team next door. And for you parents who are raising your kids to know Jesus, it's a big, big deal. That wasn't part of it. My name's Tom. I... uh, I'm so blessed and privileged to be a pastor here at Hope Church, and right now, if maybe this is your first time, maybe you've been here just a few times, but we're actually studying through the book of Mark, so if you want to take your Bible or your, your phone and find Mark chapter 8, verses 13 through 21, we'll be looking at those verses today, um, and in today's passage, we're going to look at um, a lesson that Jesus gave to his disciples to beware of something, and I'll go a, a lot deeper Uh, in just a minute about that. But let me encourage you every week just to bring your Bible with you or your phone where you can read the Bible. Uh, They told us in seminary, they said the most important thing you'll do for the people that you teach is uh, just read the Bible. Like we have a lot more stuff written here and we're trying to explain what the Bible means and and all that and that's great. But the best thing that we're going to ever do for you is read the Bible to you because it's the best thing that's going to be for you anyway. So let me just encourage you When you come in here, you can trust what we're going to say to you at the same time. There's nothing better than the word that's in front of you. So just follow along every week as we read and we study together. And by that, I mean the physical or the digital version, either one. I want to do something a little bit different today, too. I want us to pray right now, and we won't do this for very long, but it's just really a simple prayer that I want you to pray to the Lord as we begin today. And it goes a little something like this, Lord, today teach me whatever you want me to teach whatever you want to teach me in this sermon, in this service. Just ask the Holy Spirit 
to illuminate your heart and mind through his word of what he wants you to learn today. We're not here just to give you positive things. We're not here today just to give you a little song and dance so you can be entertained. To be honest with you, we're here today just to say, here's what God said, now what are you going to do with it? That's it. That's all we got. We're just that talented, okay? So right there where you are, just bow your head. I'll give you about 15 seconds. Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me today? God, we're depending on you for illumination, to understand these things that are spiritual. So Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach us today? I pray that as you teach us, we'd obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is going to shock you. I know I love cinnamon rolls. (laughs) I know it's shocking. Anybody else with me? Anybody else love cinnamon rolls? Woo! Yeah, me too. I'm telling you, I love cinnamon rolls, especially if they're homemade. I don't know if you've ever had homemade cinnamon rolls, like stopping by the gas station. It's not the same. I'm sorry. Homemade cinnamon rolls are just where it's at. Back a few years ago when my youngest daughter uh, was in high school, she's actually in the service, and I'll try not to look at her because I don't want y'all bombarding her after this or whatever. Because I know where she usually sits, and I was—I asked her before I came up here, where are you sitting? Because I don't want to look that way. But back a few years ago, she was in high school, and she took a culinary class. Um, and she learned how to cook lots of stuff. And I remember she came home, and she, she uh, had learned how to cook cinnamon rolls. And, you know, a culinary class, you know, may or may not work so well for some people or whatever. But I'm telling you, this hit the spot. She made some cinnamon rolls for us, and man, were they good. I mean, just so hot and soft and tasty. Like, everything about them was unbelievable. I love them so much. Mary makes them every year for Father's Day for me now because she just knows, like, this is my love language, cinnamon rolls. So the next time that Mary Mary made them, I actually, like, noticed how she did it, and for those of you who've done this before and, and, and you're really good uh, with just c- cooking in general, you know that cinnamon rolls cannot be made in the morning to eat in the morning. You with me? Like you have to get everything together the night before, the milk, the flour, the sugar, the eggs, you know, everything that's good in life. You got to get all that stuff together, cinnamon, salt, whatever it takes to make the drizzle, if you will, to go on top. And then there's this one little ingredient that you can barely see, and you actually don't need that much of, but it actually makes the cinnamon roll. And we know it as, and for those who cook a lot, yeast. And I'll never forget, as she put this together, she had the dough ball, if you will, but then she separated it into 10 or 12 smaller golf ball size or a little bit bigger balls, and she put them inside a casserole dish, and then she covered it with a plastic wrap, right? Am I saying all this right? I'm not looking at you, but yeah. Um, when I got up the next morning, though, these suckers had, like, grown to, like, it was, like, coming out of the, the casserole dish and, like, all meshed together and stuff, and I was like, good 
You know that chemical reaction that yeast gives, something that's like so small that you have to kind of squint your eyes to see. It's, it's small in both size and in quantity as it pertains to the recipe. But without the yeast, the cinnamon roll just no, would not rise. Something so small, something so seemingly insignificant, it just wouldn't work the same. And just like in cooking with yeast, it is amazing how small of an amount of unbelief in the things of God can have such a massive effect, such a massive change in the very course of our lives. Like it's just amazing how quickly off course we can get by the smallest of things that are anti-Bible or doesn't fit what the Bible already says, his word. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage and what we do is we find Jesus, Pastor Scott last week uh, preached about how they got in the boat, the, 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 Jesus and the disciples got in the boat and they left the, the uh, Pharisees that were there and the people who were there in Dalmanutha and they sailed we're going to find out next week to a, a city called uh, Bethsaida. And if you can picture this in your mind, on the northwest side was Dalmanutha, and on the north side of the Sea of Galilee was this city called Bethsaida. And it was about 7 to 10 miles, maybe max, but it took about an hour, depending on weather, maybe a little longer to get there by boat as they would row there. And that's important because Jesus had just departed. He had just fed the 4,000. The Pharisees had just asked for another miracle. Jesus refused to do that, and we find him in the boat kind of weirdly having a conversation within themselves, and then Jesus actually trying to teach them a lesson. So let's look at it together. Chapter 8, verses 13 through 21, here's what the Bible says. And he left them, Jesus, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they'd forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Like, it, I don't know if you've ever read this story before, but, I mean, that's, you know, in my estimation, pretty insignificant. They got into the boat and forgot to bring bread to go an hour? Okay, well, whatever. Turns out it's pretty important. Verse 15, and he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven, this is Jesus talking, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, he noticed what they were doing, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? I want you to notice that in verse 13, they get in the boat, they sail, they begin to sail. But in verse 14, the Bible says, Somewhat insignificantly, maybe from our perspective. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf with them. When you think of a loaf here, don't think of like what you get at like the grocery store in this big long. Think more of like a, kind of like a roll, if you will. Kind of smaller, all right? So when, it, when we say a loaf here, yeah, maybe it was a little bit bigger. But it was not one of these where it's like, oh man, this sucker was here. No, no. 
It was probably a lot smaller, and they only had one between all of them. Now, this same account, this same story, if you will, is found in Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew chapter 16, here's what we're told. That the disciples thought Jesus' statement was a passive-aggressive way to accuse them of forgetting to bring bread. So they thought, hey, Jesus is asking this question because he noticed we're going to go for about an hour and we didn't bring enough food. See what I mean? Like the disciples are all about trying to understand God in a way that is human instead of spiritual. So their minds went straight to this is Jesus trying to kind of give us a shot, right? The simple fact was, though, they had not brought enough food for the journey. That's all that's being discussed here. Not sure how they forgot or neglected to bring enough to eat, but they actually did. And we don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us. We can ask when we get there. Maybe they were full, right? They had just, he had just fed 5,000 people, excuse me, 4,000 people. Uh, and they had taken up seven huge hamper-sized baskets full of all the leftovers. So them taking one is a little bit odd. They could have taken as much as they wanted, but they didn't. But, but you know, when you're full, maybe that is what you do. I mean, I don't know about you, but at 2, a, 2 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day, I'm actually not ready to make a sandwich. How about y'all? Like, I'm stuffed. I've had enough turkey, and my wife's, uh, this is another sweet potato casserole, <laughs> to float a battleship. I don't want anything else to eat. You see, these guys were more than likely full to the brim when they first got in the boat. They'd not planned well, and that's not uncommon for us. Like, we do that same kind of thing. Um, when I was in college, uh, the, the, the school that I went to was about three hours' drive from my hometown. And when I would go home, for, from the time I was born, every weekend on Sundays after our services at the church, we would go to one of my grandparents' homes and have Sunday lunch. We actually called it Sunday dinner. I don't need any haters, okay? We have dinner and supper back where I'm from, so lunch for my new culture, okay? Um, but my grandmothers would cook a smorgasbord, and I mean that. Like, everything that was in their garden just got put on the table. It was everything. Fried chicken, sometimes pork tenderloin. There was all kinds of food. It was unbelievable. And I can just remember being full uh as I was getting ready to go back to college, and uh, my grandmothers, both of them, Nanny and Mama, they would both differently, they would say, hey, I fixed you a box to go. And I'd be like, ah, you know, I'm full. I don't know how much I'm going to be able. But here's what I will say. I was so glad they insisted because when I got about halfway in the journey and I reached back in the back seat and I grabbed from that smorgasbord that was in that box, do you know what I'm saying? Like, smart. So I kind of get where they are, don't you? Like, yeah, they, they didn't think of it. Maybe they were full, but somehow if they had brought more, they would have been glad they did. And maybe that's what, I don't know. Nonetheless, they had brought one loaf from seven huge hampers of food left over from the miracle that Jesus performed. And since this trip would take about one to two hours to row, I suspect this may have had more to do with the need they would have after they would get out and begin to walk around the cities than it may have the boat. But who knows? Verse 15, though, we find the lesson that Jesus teaches them. The Bible says, and he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Watch out. 
beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Why do you think they, Jesus, that Jesus taught them this lesson here in verse 15? Why, why the lesson? Like they just forgot to bring food, they brought one, but here Jesus begins to teach this lesson, and I think it's because of two reasons. Number one, I think it's because he knew what they were thinking, right? He had just fed the 4,000, but he'd also, they had also witnessed this, this awkward conversation that the Pharisees drummed up with Jesus about having him do one more miracle. One more miracle, he said. Feed 4,000, have the awkward conversation. Jesus noticed something in their minds wasn't clicking. I wonder as Jesus and the disciples left the boat, could he be teaching this lesson? Listen to this, because the disciples were wondering why Jesus didn't do a miracle for the Pharisees like they were asking. Like they weren't following the Pharisees, but maybe Jesus was sensing from the disciples, this is all conjecture, that they were wondering, hey, why didn't you just like do it? It's easy for you. You fed 5,000, you've healed the blind, you've healed the sick, you've cast out demons, you've just fed 4,000 people, how about just one more? I mean, think about it. They'd grown up in a Jewish culture where these Pharisees were revered. And seeing them as the ultimate religious examples would not have been hard for them. And now their quote-unquote faith examples were asking Jesus to do something that he refused to do. They wanted a miracle for proof of who Jesus was, but he refused to give any proof. So maybe the disciples were feeling like the Pharisees were feeling. You feeling me? Like, why would he teach this lesson? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out. Were they becoming tainted? So what was the lesson? Well, we see it in verse 15. I've already said it twice. Watch out. Beware of the influences of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. The Bible says he cautioned them. This is better translated, and some of your translations may actually have this, and it's a good translation. He ordered them. He ordered them. He gave orders to them. In no uncertain terms, Jesus defined for them what they were supposed to do, what they must do. Now, the grammar here with cautioned means that either Jesus repeated what he said several times or he was going to repeat it again. It's an imperfect tense verb, which means he wasn't finished saying it. He was going to continue to caution them. He was going to say, hey, watch out. Hey, watch out. Hey, beware. Hey, beware. And what, and, and what was he cautioning them about? Watching out, being aware. Now, these are both commands from Jesus to them, and they're, they're similar. Watch out means to be alert or be on guard, to pay attention, to look out for something. To beware, though, means to be ready for something, for anything that is hazardous or dangerous, to avoid it. So he says, look, you need to be on guard for what you need to avoid. There are some things in our lives we need to avoid, amen? We all know that. It's what we teach our kids, but somehow as adults, sometimes we kind of push away and forget that. What were they supposed to watch out for? Well, he tells us the leaven. Why the story of the cinnamon rolls? The yeast. He said, watch out for the yeast. Now, this was not 
the little packets that you buy at your, at your local grocery store, but it was the image of what that yeast would do in blowing up what it looked like to make bread and, and, and making it larger and bigger, taking something that's very small and expanding it and having that massive influence. That's what leaven does. Yeast causes bread to rise, and it only takes a little to turn a cracker into a big yeast roll at the Texas Roadhouse. They brought me crackers with the steak. I wouldn't like it very much. You know what I'm saying? But when they bring those yeast rolls out, it's on. So the question is, what's the practical reason for this lesson from Jesus? Not just to them, but to us too. So that's where I want to spend the remaining time here. What was so important about the, the disciples and us avoiding the leaven of others as it pertains to teaching? Wrong biblical thought. Jesus was saying, don't in any way allow what you saw from those who claim to be religious that you know sway you into thinking that's the way to believe. Leaven is synonymous with wrong teaching. It's even synonymous with heresy, but it's, wrong, it's, it, it's synonymous with the influence that that has upon us. Just as a little leaven will leaven the whole loaf, so will a little erroneous teaching and erroneous belief leaven our whole belief system. While we may think outside influences won't sway how we think, that's just not true. Because those we respect and those who are respected in our culture have great influence over us. The question we need to ask is this, does what they teach match up with the word of God and therefore worthy to be followed? I remember... I was a senior in college. Uh, I had gone to uh, my uh, 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 advisor, and I told him, I said, man, I, I've got to take three more of these classes. Is there any way I can avoid one of the classes? He said, yes, you can avoid one of the classes if you take this certain class. And it was a ridiculously hard class, and I did not want to take the class. But he said, if you'll take the one, I'll call it you took two. So me, in my mathematician head, I said, hey, one's better than two. You can do it. So I did it. I go to class, and what I didn't know was as soon as I sat down, there was only 13 people in this whole class. This is how bad this class was. 24,000 people at my school, 13 of us decided to take this class. I'm sitting there, and the first day, you know who walks in? You're not going to believe it. Is Teddy in here tonight? Yes, sir. You, listen, choir members, you, you, a guy from the choir from my church was my teacher. Woo! I said, glory! Right? Boy, was I wrong. That was the hardest class I ever had in my undergraduate studies. But I'll never forget, he got up that day, and here's what he said. He said, uh, hey, everybody, the, 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 the world started with five elements. Well, that, that kind of got me right there. Because I, I told you I got saved when I was 11. When he told me the earth started with five elements, my ears perked up. He said, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, chlorine, and I forget the fifth one, but who cares? <laughs> he was already wrong, see? Do you know why I know he was wrong? Because it said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Did he start with five? I don't know. Maybe he started with 55. Maybe he started with none. Here's all I know. God created everything. So when he said there are five elements, it didn't match up with what the Bible said. 
So I don't go around spewing silliness when I know God's already said this. And listen, I love everything about the degree that I was trying to get. But that was wrong. Why? Because that's not what God said. When I listen to the outside world who don't know God, and I go with them because it sounds smarter, I have just defeated part of my life's purpose that God has for me. He's the only one who's right, not us. But I want to have a side note right here so as not to blame those that are outside the faith or those who are in the faith. Like, And I don't think that my professor wasn't a believer. I think he was, is. But we can be wrong about the Bible. You know that. The Bible is always right. But when we blame other people on the outside and, and we don't look in at our own flesh. Listen, our flesh is bad enough to believe it without anybody else. Our flesh has to take in what they teach or we don't have to take in what they teach. And I'm not just talking about college. There are godly professors. There are godly, there are actually colleges that are amazing, unbelievable Christian colleges. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying whatever we're taught, whether it's a, a educationally, whether it's friendship, whether it's, our, it's something at our work, it's a, it's a relationship that we have, it's social media, God help us all, or it's, it's, a, or it's a news channel. All of those things pale in comparison to this right chunk. All right, I just added five minutes to the sermon, so sorry about that. All right, the leaven mentioned here wasn't just from one group, though. It's actually from three groups. Mark mentions two of them. He says the Pharisees and Herod, or the Herodians. But Matthew mentions another one. He actually, if you go to chapter 16, verse 1, Matthew actually also mentions the Sadducees. So here's what we know. There were three groups of people, at least, and there probably were more, that Jesus said, avoid the leaven of them. In other words, avoid the wrong teaching, the oppositeness of what the Word of God is. Avoid it. Now, the Pharisees were a Jewish sect that held tightly to the strict observance of Jewish laws. They were superior in sanctity. Nobody was as sanctimonious and holy as them. They were super conservative in how they believed what they believed. The Herodians, they were a Jewish sect who were partisan with the house of Herod and who was partial to the Romans and not to the Jewish law, so they weren't so righteous. In fact, they would have leaned a little bit more, hey, do whatever you think. But then there were the Sadducees, who was a whole other Jewish sect who denied the resurrection of Jesus, the existence of the spirits, of of any spirit, angels or otherwise, uh, the obligation to oral Jewish traditions, but stuck to the written Jewish laws only. These groups had two things basically in common that I can see right here and that that I see in the rest of Scripture. There were some other things, but basically two things. Number one, they both asked for, I mean, they all three asked for a sign. We know that because right here it says, beware of, Herod and of the Pharisees. In uh, Luke chapter 23, the Bible tells us that, that at one point, Herod had asked for a sign. Matthew 16 says that the Sadducees asked for a sign. And here, Mark 8 tells us that, that the Pharisees had asked for a sign. You know what they all wanted? Jesus just to do one more thing. Yeah, you've healed all kinds of people, Scott told us last week. You've done all kinds of things. You've, 
You've given us food out of absolutely nothing, but we want to see one more thing. But this actually led to the second thing that they had in common, and you know what it was? Their unbelief in Jesus. You know that half the New Testament was written to defend the deity of Jesus? People say, there's God, praise the Lord, and he's got a son. They do. He's God. He sure is. Jesus is God. And if he isn't God, we're all still lost. We might as well go home. We're missing some football right now. Just bringing up, putting the cookies on the lowest shelf, you know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus was warning his disciples to watch out for and avoid the leaven of those who refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Listen, they'd all pushed away from him being who he was, and he said, I'm, I'm a little bit fearful that you guys are headed in that direction. Listen, all of us, listening to any group of people or person creates a scenario for us to be influenced, even into changing our belief about God and ultimately to have, ultimately to have no belief in God. So here's the question, who are you listening to? Are you listening to God and his word or are you listening to everybody else or anybody else? That one person, that one boss, that one neighbor, that one professor, who are you listening to? Just like leaven, even the smallest heretical teaching can begin to harden our hearts toward unbelief. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33 tells us that bad company ruins good morals. Now, while I know this isn't the greatest principle here, the principle of this verse is still true even for this. I promise you, I had a, one of my pastors back home used to say, if, and I don't even know if you'll get this part, but I'm going to say it anyway. You sleep with dogs, you're going to get their fleas. Make sense? We need to be around the word of God and the people of God because we need to know what template to lay on top of our lives. The Pharisees' opposition to Jesus would be detrimental to the disciples, and this was the impetus for Jesus' orders for them to watch out, and the same goes for us. We too must be on guard and avoid the temptation to believe opposite of what we see in his word and have experienced from his hands. But how can we be on guard if the, from this temptation if we don't know what his word says? The answer is that we cannot. We are tossed around by every wind of doctrine. We must know what he said to be able to fend off what the enemy in our own flesh wants us to believe. And that's why we urge you and encourage you constantly here at Hope, Hope Church to spend time with God. We call it God time. Have your God time every day. You say, Tom, when? I don't care. Sometime. Open up his word and look at what he says. Read it. Know what he said. Listen for his voice. Continue in prayer. And that's how we know. It's the only reason I didn't believe my professor when he said it, that the earth started with five atoms. Otherwise, that's what I would have believed too. As we see this warning, this lesson from Jesus, Mark then quotes three questions that Jesus had for the disciples because he knew what they were discussing and thinking. Resisting the influence of others can be difficult for us too, just like it was the disciples. You may be sitting here today and saying, not me, pastor, but it's easier than you might think. Why? Because I think there are at least three factors that make others influential in our lives. And the first factor is this, their closeness in relationship with us. When we love the people that we're around, 
whether it's a close relationship of a friendship or if it's a, 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 a familial relationship, the closest in relationship is where we start to believe what ha- is being said. Isn't that right? Secondly, their authority over me, maybe a teacher, a boss, a coach. I remember growing up, a coach could get in any house that, that he or she wanted to get into. When the coach shows up, you let the coach in, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't let preachers in, but you will let the coach in, I promise you. Because they have authority. To be honest, as your pastors, we have authority too. Do we want to sway you into believing God with everything we got? But you have to make that decision. And then thirdly, my lack of foundation in what I believe is another factor when people are influential in my life. When I don't know what I believe, I'm easily swayed. So here's the question to contemplate. Who am I allowing to influence me? Who am I allowing to influence me? Embedded in these three questions in verse 17 that I'm about to read, I believe are the three results of allowing the leaven of unbelief, like the disciples did, to influence my life and their lives. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Question one. Question two, do you not yet perceive or understand? And then question three, are your hearts hardened? Inside question number one, I see a result here of self-sufficiency. Listen to this. When I allow the leaven of unbelief to influence my life, I become dependent on self and refuse to trust God in whatever I need. Verse 17 is clear. Jesus says, listen, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? In other words, after all you've seen, after all you've experienced, after massive amounts of miracles you've seen me do, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, are you really talking about having nothing to eat? In other words, can I not supply that? Is food really your concern? When we begin to trust in something other than God, we lose our dependence on him and look to self for sufficiency. Here's what I believe. I believe that their trust in Jesus would have negated their thoughts about the lack of food that they had at the moment if they would have just trusted him. So the first result I see of the leaven of unbelief is self-sufficiency. Number two, the result two, and an inability to understand spiritual things. Verse 17b says, do you not perceive or understand? Here's the truth. When I allow the leaven of unbelief to influence my life, I turn to my own natural ability to understand and turn away from allowing God to teach me the meaning of spiritual things. Did you know for everything that happens, there is a spiritual meaning? I know that sounds crazy, and it sounds like I drank all the Kool-Aid. This may surprise you too. I turned 55 two weeks ago. I know with this boyish figure, that's surprising. Don't get too close. The longer I live, the more I see that statement is so true. That God has a reason for everything he does. That everything he allows in our lives, there is a spiritual reason. But I will promise you this. The farther we get from him, the less we will ever see that. The more self-sufficient we become, the less we'll see the spiritual reason for the things that God allows in our lives. He said, don't you perceive or understand? Don't you see? Some, some versions say, don't you see? Don't you understand? And basically, these two things are kind of close in meaning. One of, one of them has to do with just understanding things, period. And the other one means to be challenged by something you already believe so that you can believe something else. 
Do you not perceive? Do you not see? Do you not understand? But here's the way I would say it in, in, in the Tom version, okay? Don't you get it? That's it. Don't you get it? You've seen all this stuff. Don't you get what you've seen? So another result of the leaven of unbelief is an inability to understand spiritual things. And then thirdly, a hardened heart. When I allow the leaven of unbelief to influence my life, I become numb to the things of God and lose my opportunity to know God more. Jesus asked this question. He said, are your hearts hardened? He asked if their hearts were hardened, if they were not open to learning or understanding anymore. In fact, the grammar of this word hardened suggests that the hardening of their hearts occurred because of the influence or actions of those on the outside or some outside influence. That's big. Like they didn't come in thinking, I'm going to harden my heart. No, there was something on the outside that came into them, and and, and all of a sudden their hearts were beginning to harden. There was no plan to be hardened. They were just hardening. So another result, the last one there is the leaven of unbelief is a hardened heart. Now I want you to remember and I want you to notice in these questions in verse 17, they're questions. That's a big deal. They're not statements. Jesus is asking questions, not making statements. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He's asking questions. He's not saying, this is where you are. He's saying, is this where you're headed? It was almost like there was this warning Jesus was throwing up. Hey, you're listening to the disciples, excuse me, to the Pharisees. You're listening to the Herodians. You're following the Sadducees, and here's where it's going to take you. It's going to take you somewhere you wish you'd never been. You're becoming self-sufficient. You're not seeing the spiritual things that I'm doing, and it's hardening your heart. I love that, it's, that these are questions and not statements, because if they were statements, Jesus would have said, it's, it's over. <laughs> like, it's done. This is who you are. This is what's going on, and this is, this is the result of that. Unbelief starts with self-sufficiency that leads to an inability to understand spiritual things that can lead to a hardened heart. Jesus further explains in 18, 19, and 20. He says, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember. In other words, I know you saw it. And good eyes see the right things. I know you hear it. And healthy ears can pick up on that. He said, I know you're having trouble understanding. You're having trouble remembering, but you shouldn't because your brains are tired. And then he asked some questions to them. But before he asked the questions, I have a question for you to contemplate. Please, have I allowed what I've been taught about Jesus to influence what I believe about him? Listen, here's what I want to ask you. If you're in the faith or not in the faith, this question applies. If you're not in the faith, you've been taught enough about Jesus, why in the world would you not come to him? Like, are there still some things? Are there some signs that you need? And if you do know him, The question still applies. Have the things you've been taught about Jesus made you love him more, to obey him more, so that he would reveal himself to you more? Like, the more you know about him, the more you can love him so that you will be able to obey, or are you still trying to figure out how to know him? It's knowledge about him and the refusal to take it that will harden our hearts, lost or saved. 
these signs had already been shown, Jesus goes into verse 19 and says, When I broke the five loaves with the 5,000, how many baskets full did I take up? They said 12. So they did know, right? And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets? And they said seven. So they did remember the 12 and the seven. They had been there. They knew what was going on, but they just could not connect what they saw and heard and remember to what they actually were supposed to believe about him and not leave the faith that had left them long, long ago. And when understanding doesn't lead to belief, we are in danger of a hard heart, all of us, toward God. James Edwards says this. He says, failure to understand leads to hardness of heart. The plea for understanding is a reminder that faith is not separate from understanding, but possible only through understanding. An ignorant heart, listen close, cannot harden itself. I've been around the world, and there are people who've never heard the gospel. Their hearts aren't hard. They've just never heard. Nobody in this room can claim that. Nobody online can claim that. Only a knowing heart can harden itself. And that's why those closest to Jesus... The Pharisees and the disciples stand in the gravest danger. You know how blessed we are to be told the truth? To have this book in multiples in our homes, on our phones. You know how sad it is that we have, have these and still say, woe is me. Still believe that God isn't big enough to take us where he wants us to be, even when it's hard. That's unbelief. I know because I've done it a lot. I'm not looking at you like you've done it. I'm telling you I've done it. And it hasn't helped me at all. When we place our trust and faith in him, we can know that he knows. Our sermon of the sentence today at the very end, we want to give to you. When I allow the leaven of unbelief to influence my life, I will miss the life God desires for me. When I allow the leaven of unbelief to influence my life, I'll miss the life that God desires for me. And you know what? God's got a life for you that he wants you to know about. Today as we leave, we're going to have an invitation. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. Who am I being influenced by? And how do I stop that or continue on? And then secondly, have I allowed what I've been taught about Jesus to influence what I believe about him? Or are they just mere facts is what you know about him from his word has it changed your belief system into who he is and what he desires for you we're about to have our invitation and I want to explain invitation a little bit I told the guys I, I really want to do this the invitation is a time at the end of every service that we have to do one thing is to allow you not to go out those doors so the devil can pluck away the seed that God has planted it's a time for you, remember what we did at the very beginning of, the, of, of my sermon. You ask God, what do you want to teach me, Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me today? Here's what I hope. I hope he taught you something. Maybe multiple things. But now that you've been taught that, here's what needs to happen. You need to act on it. It's okay. It may not mean coming down here. It might. 
It might mean coming here and saying, I need Jesus. Can somebody explain to me salvation through Jesus Christ? Absolutely we can. If you need to give your life to Christ, we want you to come here. Some of you need to be, just be right with God. Maybe you just need to hit this altar and say, Lord, I've not trusted you. I don't want to have a hard heart. I don't know what that looks like. I just know this invitation isn't just a transition for us just to end the service, right? It's not a time for us just to sing and feel really, really good and so everybody else can go get the fried chicken early. That's not what it is. This is a time for us, especially as believers, to go, God, what are you doing among us? What are you doing in this room? And just pray, Lord, have your way. But for those of you who God has shined a light on something, and I remember when God shined a light on my heart. Two particular times, but there have been many, where I said, Lord, teach me something, and he did. And those things that I decided in those services at those times changed my life forever. So we're going to give an invitation. We're going to ask you to give your life to Christ if you need to. But we're also going to say, hey, be in this invitation room. Sing to the Lord at the same time pray. Ask God what he wants from you, and then just obey. Lord, thank you as our pastors come. Lord, that you are in control of it all. Lord, we have your word, and that's the template we need. That's it. Lord, everything else is everything we've made up in our flesh. God, would you move and work all up and down these aisles, and would you show those who don't know you how much they need you? God, would you remind us who are in the faith of God, what you've saved us from and what our next step is. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Our pastors will be here if you need to give your life to Christ.